Welcome. I'm Paul Bishop, your host for this episode of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are occasional bonus downloads where my co-host Richard Prosher and I get to hang around the virtual Six Gun Justice podcast water cooler, talking with friends and fellow writers who are also fans of the Western genre. With me today is the man behind the hot lead fanzine of vintage Western paperbacks, Justin Marriott, also known as the king of the fanzines, at least by me, for his wide variety of pop culture publications. Hello, my friend. Thanks for being here. Hey, Paul. Pleasure to be here. I heard that intro music. I had a massive grin on my face being here. <laughs> You and I have never actually talked in person before, which seems so strange because we've known each other for so long through emails and interactions with the fanzine publications and on Facebook and the Men's Adventure paperback group that it feels like I've known you personally for a long time. Yeah, same here. I have this challenge of explaining to my wife and daughters like how I've got these friends who I've never met and never spoken to, but have these deep connections. So even though we're kind of meeting for the first time, it feels like meeting an old friend again. So yeah, it's lovely to speak to you. My wife is always saying they're not friends or acquaintances. I'm saying, no, they're friends. I know these people. I've talked extensively with them. My wife says they're potential stalkers, so she, <laughs> I, I have to do a bit of work with her on that. But I'm here. I actually think your wife and my wife would get along very well. <laughs> they seem to see things from the same perspective. You and I first made contact over Men of Violence, which was your fanzine that you put together for the men's adventure genre. And it wasn't your first venture into fanzines, was it? No, I've always loved printed material and I've always produced fanzines. If you talk to my parents, they tell you about how many fanzines I used to do at home and homemade comic kind of leading on to self-publication. It's just something that runs in my blood. It's my obsession. It's something I've always done and I can't ever imagine a time when I won't really do it, to be honest, Paul. Yeah, it's part of Justin Marriott, really. I think you and I take it for granted that everybody knows what a fanzine is, but in actuality, we may have some listeners who don't. As far as I'm concerned, a fanzine is a magazine compiled by fans for fans that comes out on an irregular basis and isn't necessarily as slick a publication as professional magazines would be, but it varies from real kitchen sink stuff all the way up to, quite frankly, what you're producing at this point. I suppose the other bit for me is historically before the advent of the internet where everybody had a voice, a fanzine was often the only place where you could read about more niche material such as Western paperbacks because the potential audience for that was so small, any commercial publisher wouldn't go near it. So for me, part of fanzine publishing was actually trying to find out information about the comics, the films and the books that I loved so much and finding there just wasn't anything out there. So for me, when I started kind of really concentrating on publishing fanzines, it was more because no one else was doing it. And I was kind of going, I can't understand why people aren't writing about this interesting stuff. And for our kind of younger listeners who have grown up in the internet age where everything, no matter how obscure, has got its own blog or web page or Facebook page, maybe this concept that 20 years ago, the only way to communicate with someone else who liked Westerns or men's adventure paperbacks was maybe through the pages of a fanzine, if one even existed. And if they did, where did you find them? I come from the same place as you did. I began writing fanzines when I was in my teens and carried on through my 20s. There was a whole underground community that seemed to support one another in the pre-internet days. 
Yeah, I mean, my gateway was the horror film fanzine world. And I won't talk about it too much because it might not be of interest to the people listening. But I suppose in short, in England, with the age of the video revolution, videos were not subject to the same kind of certification as cinema releases. So you had all these local small video stores opening and video companies providing them with cheap films from Europe that weren't subject to certification. So that meant all all sorts of European horror films become available in English video stores. And as a result of that, you had what was called the Video Nasty Scare. And a lot of those videos were removed from sale. And from that, a kind of an underground movement of trading these tapes and writing fanzines about these films kind of grew. And that's really how I kind of entered it. So within the fanzines, you had lots of listings of other fanzines and you would trade and you would send off your one pound sellotaped or one dollar sellotaped between two bits of cardboard might get something back. The postman might steal the money. The fanzine <laughs> publisher might not be bothered to send you anything. It was a kind of a bit of a lottery and you never really knew what was going to turn up in that manila envelope that came through your door. So that it was very clear in the horror community how you did that. But moving on to Men of Violence and Hot Lead and some of the other fanzines I do, it is much more of a challenge how you communicate with people. And that's where kind of social media, for me, becomes a bit of a necessary evil. And the whole challenge of how do you promote that fanzine to like-minded people comes in. And I think for me, a very important Facebook page would have been the Men's Adventure paperbacks of the 1970s, which is probably where you and I started to interact, Paul. It's a great group for people coming together and sharing their love of paperbacks and men's adventure magazines. That has been a very kind of fertile place for me to publicize the fanzines, meet great people such as yourself and the paperback warrior guys and Bob Dice and various other really supportive people to kind of develop this community. But even to this day, I haven't quite worked out how I effectively promote the fanzines. And it still frustrates me that although the fanzines are never a commercial venture for me, it purely is a hobby that I'm passionate about. Some of the writing that I get to showcase from people like you, professional writers, really great amateur writers, doesn't always reach as big an audience as I would like. I agree. The Men's Adventure Paperbacks of the 20th Century group on Facebook is an absolute anomaly. There's no other place like it on Facebook that has the same amount of camaraderie and goodwill, the sharing of knowledge, the sharing of books, trading back and forth with one another I've ever come across. Yeah. And if you're, if you're listening to this and you're not a member, I would really recommend signing up and taking part. Yeah, it's a special electronic place, that's for sure. Now, you and I, when we first got together, you were very anti-Amazon at one point. I think I beat on you to get you to put Men of Violence actually for sale up on Amazon. I remember very clearly stating to you, over my dead body, would I ever move from a traditional local printer, get the magazines printed and post them out to an Amazon sort of print-on-demand model. It was either over my dead body, when hell freezes over, combinations thereof. It probably says a lot about my personal integrity that I folded very quickly. And although I'm being a little bit flippant about it, 
you know, Paul, it was a brilliant bit of advice that you gave me. And actually, it kind of revolutionized how I produce the fanzine. There's some downsides to it that maybe we can talk about. But for me, where I'm producing these fanzines in my spare time, I've got a full-time job, got, you know, a wife and daughters who I feel very committed to. So often the fanzines are kind of squeezed into an hour and two an evening if I'm lucky. So removing that whole hassle of sitting on 500 copies of a magazine that you've paid for and then posting them out one by one, particularly with increasing postal rates from the UK to the US, involved investing a lot of money up front for the print and then a very slow payback and a very labour-intensive consistently going to the post office. Now with the Amazon print-on-demand model, if you want a copy, Amazon send it to you. I'm not involved in that. That that has kind of freed up so much time for me. That has been a real game changer. So thank you publicly, Paul Bishop, for sorting that out. On the downside, whereas before I kind of would almost know people's names and addresses, that sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? But I felt like I knew my audience and I had like a personal connection with the people who ordered the fanzine and I'd get a lot of emails and I would have very vibrant letter columns and exchange of information. Since I've moved to the Amazon model, people tend to leave reviews on Amazon, if at all, and I very rarely get any emails emails directly. So I kind of feel I don't really know who I'm writing for anymore. And I suppose when this was never a commercial venture, this was all about reaching out to like-minded individuals. I have kind of missed that interaction, really. But overall, to have a full-colour magazine posted directly to people for a reasonable price, that has been super. And, you know, to sacrifice some of that personal interaction, that's been a worthwhile sacrifice. And to an extent, that's maybe been replaced by social media interaction. So, yeah, it's kind of move from a sending an email to Justin to putting a review on Amazon or putting a, a posting on social media. I've probably rambled on a little bit there, Paul, but hopefully that gives a flavor for the kind of the pros and cons of that print on demand model. One of the things the printed demand model has done is make all of your fanzines, all the issues consistently available to whoever wants them instead of running out of back issues and not being able to get what you want once you discover a fanzine. You make a really good point. I hadn't really appreciated that until a couple of people had written to me to say, oh, I've not picked up your fanzine because you're already at issue X and I know I can't get the early ones. It took me a little while to get my head round, but I suppose that burning need to have a complete run was putting people off. I went out for a walk earlier today and my daughters and I was like, girls, I've got an interview tonight. You need to get me ready for this. And they asked all sorts of questions, but said, how many fanzines have you published? And I think it's nearly 80 in total now of issues, probably of which about 25, maybe 30 are available on Amazon. So at some point, I need to transfer the rest of the fanzines and get them all available on Amazon. So they're there. And what I sometimes see is someone will write to me and say, I just discovered your fanzine and I've just ordered an issue of everything that you've got on Amazon, which never would have happened in the old days when someone would have written to me and I would have said, sorry, they're all sold out. So that that definitely is an advantage to me, but also to readers coming on board that hopefully they've got plenty of material available to them. 
And the other part is preserving the information in those fanzines, which is important in the history of pop culture that would not be available any longer in the traditional form that you did. That's a good and a bad thing. It puts a bit of pressure on me because if I make a mistake or do something badly, it's out there forever. Whereas before, the magazines are posted out, never to be seen again. So kind of my mistakes are preserved for posterity. I'm always very conscious of an approach to almost over-intellectualizing the books that I, I look at in that I very much celebrate that they're disposable pop culture. And that's one of the things that I really like about any vintage paperback is quite often they're a bit crude. They're maybe a little bit unsophisticated, could be shocking. You know, they're very exciting. They're very trend-led. And I celebrate them for those reasons rather than taking a, an intellectual approach and spending too much time on analysing why they were popular or what it might have told you about society at the time. So I don't have any problems with people who take that approach and I read a lot of that stuff. But for me, the attraction of the books is that kind of the immediacy, the real rawness of them is something I find really attractive, if a little bit difficult to justify sometimes because sometimes the material is not as acceptable by modern day standards. But it's important to me that we honestly reflect what these books are like. So let's talk a little bit about Hot Lead. And I think it all began with you and I just having a discussion on the fact that there was really nothing out there in the Western fanzine world like it. Yeah, absolutely. I blame you for all of this. Or thank you for all of this. For me, I did not grow up as a Western fan in any way. I was born in 1969, so those kind of impressionable years were probably the 70s and into in the 80s. So in that time, I wouldn't have been seen dead with a Western paperback. I was a total nerd, but a Western paperback, no way. For the 70s, it was kind of an anti-authoritarianism kind of time. Certainly in, in England, I grew up in a very affluent city and with a very nice upbringing and never wanted for anything. But there was just something in the air that was pushing back against the perceived kind of past. And sort of Westerns would have been part of that. So I would have been growing up, I would have been reading books about Hell's Angels on the Rampage. I would have been reading books about crabs on the Rampage, you know, killer crabs, very gory books. There were only four TV channels in England at the time, but the Call Me Trinity Westerns would sometimes be shown. And I'm sure any Spaghetti Western fan will be saying they are the worst Spaghetti Westerns ever. But for me, the whole kind of very crude, farting, burping, kind of uh, larger-than-life characters were very, were very appealing. And I remember kind of guffawing at those as a, as a teenager. But that was probably my Western background. Like I said, I wouldn't have been seen with a Western paperback. And it was only kind of probably in the early 2000s when my paperback collecting the route started to take me initially into the Piccadilly Cowboy Westerns so that kind of short-lived craze for ultra-violent Westerns written by British authors who had never travelled west of Piccadilly Tube Station in London. It was becoming interested in that that kind of piqued my interest in the Western genre and then eventually when you kind of approached me and went we've got to do this Justin and I was like do we Paul? And you're like yeah 
yeah, we've got to do this. I realise resistance is futile when it comes to Paul Bishop, the bounty hunter. So we went for it. And I think the really appealing thing for me about the Western genre is it kind of, it just continues, it endures. So other genres can kind of ebb and flow, but there's always this kind of bedrock. There's something about the mythos of the old West that still has appeal generation after generation, despite it actually being kind of ignored by the mainstream and most people being very snooty about the Western. So I think that whole kind of my love of books that, you know, shocking and not particularly loved, I kind of thought, you know what, let's do a fanzine about the Western paperback and let's make it a really good one. And, you know, the people who love Western paperbacks, let's make them go, wow, we can't believe we've been waiting this long to have some write about it in this way. And also for people to kind of go, I hate the Western. Oh, actual fact, I'm just reading this article about the Fargo books or the Renegade books and kind of going, oh, they actually sound like pretty good books. I'm going to have to put to one side my prejudice about the Western genre and get stuck in there. But, you know, it's been very rewarding to start on that journey. I mean, what's it been like for you? It's been great because the magazine has evolved through four issues. We started out not really knowing exactly the direction we were going to take. And each issue just got more and more focused until issue number four, which has just come out, is the all-review issue, which is literally a reference work to the Western genre as a whole, a very readable reference work. 250 reviews spanning the entire history of the Western. It is an amazing accomplishment and you're really to be congratulated on putting all of that together. Well, thank you, Paul. I think you kind of lit the flame. You were the spark. It was kind of you coming along and saying, Justin, we need to have an all review special. This is how I think the reviews could work. I'm going to do some heavy lifting for you. I'm going to bring in Chuck Dixon to write a foreword. It, it was kind of to have that drive from you and to help with that vision really got me started. A couple of things that really bowled me over is I kind of put a notice out on the Facebook Men's Adventure page to say, anybody up for helping out on this? And I think I had about 15 people come back who varied from professional authors all the way down to people saying, I've never written a review before. I fancy giving it a go and coming together and kind of creating a, a magazine that's got a real variety of voices in it and opinions. And actually for me as editor, and I mentioned this in the editorial, I didn't really have a strong view for what it should be other than a variety of voices. But when the review started to come in, I think the thing that I had been worried about, it was going to be, you know, 250 reviews of the Edge series. But actually, when they started to come through, they really did span from Edgar Rice Burroughs and Robert E. Howard in the 30s, the right the way through to, I don't know, Richard Matheson, you know, more recently. And it kind of almost formed this tapestry of the whole Western genre and how it developed. So I was absolutely delighted to kind of be able to present the work in a way that wasn't just a set of great, informative, witty reviews, but it also formed more than just that. 
again, thank you for kind of giving me the drive to get started. It genuinely is the best thing that I've been involved in. I'm so proud of it, and I hope that it can reach more readers, which podcasts like this can help. But irrespective of it, I will look at it and just kind of go, wow, some great, great people were on board with this. They produced some great writing. I was very privileged to be able to kind of lay it out and put it out under my name. But it it truly is a, a real collaboration. So yeah, very proud of it. And it's a genuine fanzine because it's fans who have contributed all the reviews to an editor who's a fan to marketing it to fans of the genre who don't have access to this kind of information anywhere else. I mean, it's pure fanzine, which is just a fantastic accomplishment. Thanks. One of the things I was conscious of when the reviews were coming in to form the magazine, many of them were very positive. And I was a bit worried that it was perhaps a myopic view of the the Western genre and lacked any real kind of critical faculty. And I mentioned this to a couple of correspondents, including Steve, who runs the Western Fiction Review blog, really good blog. And Steve's response to me was along the lines of, but Justin, this was an opportunity to kind of showcase the best of the Western genre. wasn't going to waste my time sending you reviews of rubbish books. I've read a few. This was my opportunity to show people if you want to read some good westerns, this is what it is. So I hope that it's kind of almost like a celebration of the genre for people. And I kind of got this little bit of a romantic view of all these dog-eared copies that people carry with them to the used bookstores if they ever open again, or when they're searching on the internet for book shopping, there's going to be this kind of dog-eared, falling apart, marked with coffee mug stains, copy of Hot Lead 4, which has kind of been this trusty companion and trusty reference guide to taking people through to a journey of what's a decent Western to read and maybe a few to avoid. That's fantastic. And you were telling me that surprisingly, because the Western genre has such a silent audience, that Hot Lead Number 4 and the other Hot Lead issues have been selling surprisingly well. Yeah, it's this real surprise. As we did the first issue, I really was like, Paul, we're going to sell five of these to my mum, your mum, and a couple of family members. And we can say we gave it a shot and we could walk away with our pride slightly intact, but we gave it our best shot. And much to my amazement, the actual numbers of hot lead sales have actually been amongst the highest of my fanzines. I've published some stuff which I think would have more commercial appeal than some of my other vintage paperback related titles, but they haven't achieved the volumes of hot lead. And I'm very sensitive about the pricing of the magazine. I try wherever possible to price it where I actually make no money from it to make it as accessible as possible. So selling more copies doesn't mean a financial reward for me. It means knowing that there there's an audience out there who are reading it and all of these brilliant contributors who give their time to the magazine for free are having their voices heard. So it's been a really pleasant surprise that somehow Hot Lead has found an audience and it's not necessarily of vociferous fans or opinionated fans or people who kind of dominate social media. There seems to be this kind of bedrock of silent, appreciative fans who are enjoying what they're reading. And that's been, as I mentioned earlier on, for someone who likes to celebrate perhaps what's not loved and, you know, look down on the mainstream to kind of know there are kindred spirits out there who maybe are picking up the magazine and going, oh, this is great. I've got to read Paul Bishop's history of the adult Western. 
I never thought someone would be writing an article on the gunsmith or Herm the Hunter, just like this is Western nerd heaven. That's been immensely rewarding. And that will kind of continue to fuel me to do more issues of Hot Lead. I really hope that the all review special I have in my mind, can we make this a yearly event? Can we put out this kind of growing Western reference that covers even more books and gives people even more ideas and inspiration to what to go to look for. So I'm stoked, as you Californians would say, Paul, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me and talk about this because I am touched, sometimes maybe overwhelmed by the community that we have that just seems to love the genre. There really isn't anything in it other than love of the genre and everybody pulls together and you are to be really lauded for being at the forefront of that and giving everybody a voice in the pages of Hot Lead and long may it ride. I'm down with you, Paul. I've got no choice. It's something about me that has to do this to continue to self-publish. And if it can be through hot lead and have people like you riding alongside me, yeah, bring it on. Hopefully we'll talk again soon and not just in email. And I will look forward to that. Thank you for being with me today. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on and ramble, really, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the Six Gun Justice website at www.sixgunjustice.com for information on prior Six Gun Justice conversations, Six Gun Justice speed listens, and full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, along with regularly updated book reviews, articles, and interviews covering all aspects of the Western genre. Until next time, be kind to others, be kind to yourself, and keep your Bowie knife sharp. Adios. We're out of here. Let's ride. (laughs) 